Lord, we just thank you for this evening to come together and to look at the book that we're studying in Thessalonians and look at Paul's heart to his people and ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 5. Remember, this is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and it's really a fairly gentle letter overall. He's remembering them greatly and with all the love of a pastor toward his people. And we want to keep that in mind. It's, uh, his great love is seen through this book for the, in so many ways. So verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And, we became, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you, were in, we, that you were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So here is Paul lifting up this church. Um, and he starts out with, you know, our gospel came to you not in word, but also in power through the, and in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, we didn't just speak it, but you saw it lived out. And this is the most important thing. When we give the gospel message, there must be the power behind it that it is true. Because otherwise, if it's just words, people look at you and say, well, you're saying lots of good stuff, but I'm not seeing it. You're saying God loves me. You're saying that you love me, but we want to make sure they don't put the but on it. And if they do put a but, it, wow, we really saw... What you, what you were doing. And this is what Paul said. You saw the power and the assurance or the conviction of the truth. And this is important. When we're sharing the gospel with people, they need to see that we truly believe it. It's not just words. And we've all seen and heard people that it's just words. You know, they'll tell you how much you're loved, but they don't love you. They'll tell you how much God has grace for you, but they don't show you grace. And there's no conviction, no power. And Paul says, we were there and you saw all of this and you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, he's saying, you saw us. You saw us lifted up. And this is the heart of a true pastor for his church. He should be living the life of God and showing love to his people. They cannot say one thing from the pulpit and do something totally different in their day-to-day -day life. And that's what Paul's saying. You saw us live this out among you. And this is where the power of our testimony comes from. It's not just words. It is the way of life that goes behind it, where people look and see, I see your love. I see that you care. Um, and this is what Paul's saying. Uh, so you were in samples or an example to all that believe in Macedonia and Arcadia. So that whole area right at the end of Turkey is that area of Macedonia and Arcadia. He says, your witness, your testimony was sounded out amongst them. And if you remember, there's a statement in Acts where Paul said he saw the vision from Macedonia calling him to come to them. And he just decided he had to go. And so we see here, these were another area, these were the area that Paul went to shortly after he talked to the Thessalonians and in that area, and he goes, you, you, your example is known amongst men. And this is good when a church has a good reputation amongst other churches and amongst people. But we know that not every church is gonna have a good reputation amongst people because if we live for God, the people may or may not be happy with us. But we definitely should have a good reputation amongst other churches. And this is important. He says, you had, you were examples to those individuals. 
It says, for from you sounded or sound, sent forth the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Arcadia, but also in every place your, your faith to God is spread abroad. What a reputation. And Paul, Paul is helping them. You know, Paul has this habit of really praising the good churches that he was talking to and lifting them up. And this is the beauty of testimonies. We lift up. The sad thing about so many testimonies are people talk about how bad things were, how bad things they were, how bad things they were. They get to God saving them, and they mention that God saves them. Everything is wonderful. End of story. Yeah. And most testimonies really should be, I was a miserable, terrible wreck. Jesus came into my life, and. <laughs> and let's go forward with all the good stuff that happens. Now, there's a way to, you know, and it's understandable. We, we want to touch people with where we were because that draws people into our story. But we, if we give more to our, how awful we are than how good God is, we're not really building up our testimony. And it's very important to really get to, this is what God has done, and this is how my life was turned upside down and changed, to, changed for good. And very important, and Paul says, I, I talk about you everywhere. And wouldn't it be great if Paul talked about the church you know, that you attended everywhere and he's telling everybody how good your church is you know better than some of his churches like the Corinth church which he's always chastising and I don't think he talked about them in his other services that often because he was always having to chastise them but the Thessalonian church he's saying you've got you've got your act together you're doing good you're showing love you're showing care is he saying they're a perfect church absolutely not but he says your example shines and this is where we are to be as Christians we as individuals should shine out the gospel of God. But as a church, we should shine out the gospel of God. People should desire to be around the church and know that it stands for what it's the good. And then he says, you know, you, you, uh, for every place God were to spread abroad so that we do not need to speak anything. In other words, we do not need to correct this is one of the few letters that Paul does not do a lot of correction in to a church. This is a church that he is being excited and saying, you guys have done good. Now, he's going to have some words of correction because nobody's perfect. But he doesn't do a lot of correcting on this. If you read the Corinthians, he's correcting them. Almost every chapter, he's correcting them. Here, he, he's talking to this church and saying, you all are on, you're, you're, you're spot on. You're doing good. You're, you're lifting everything up. Uh, verse 9, For they themselves show us what manner of entering we had into you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, this statement doesn't really impact us as much as it would have their, their day. He said that you have turned. You have turned completely to God. You have turned away from your idols. And we've got a picture of what it was like to live in this period of time. You say, let us pray to your gods, and all of a sudden you'd have all kinds of people praying to all kinds of different gods. You know, everybody pray to God, we need help. And some people would be praying to lots of gods, covering all the bases. Other people would be praying to different gods. Yeah. And it was kind of an amazing, amazing thing. And Paul says, you turned from your idols and your gods to, get to, to the God the master of the universe, the, the living and true God. And, you know, I, I was told a story one time, and it kind of made a lot of sense. He goes, this is, this is what it like, was like to have walked to the, to, to the next town over when you were following polytheism. You left your house, and you prayed to your house gods to protect your house. You got out to the street, and you prayed to the traveling god to protect you in the, as you traveled. You got out amongst the fields and you prayed to the God of the fields to protect you and gave a small offering to him. Oh, yes. You got to the river and you prayed to the river God so that you could ford the river without, without drowning. You got to the forest and you prayed to the forest God so because there's all these spirits on the trees and everything and you wanted to cross the tree. And, you, and each time you would give them some form of offering, usually a grain or a drink offering. And then you'd get to the city and you'd pray to the gods of the city. And then you walked back and did it all over again. <laughs> I know I 
But, but this is what it was like back in the, in the, in the polytheistic days. You, you, you in your own self probably had multiple gods because each, and we see it in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges and Joshua, where the people would say, well, th their God defeated the mountains. The, the mountain God wasn't as good. We've got the, we've got the God of the valley. Our God is, more, is going to be stronger than the God of the, of the mountain. You know, and this went on and on and on in their, in, their, in their mindset. And Paul is saying, you turned from your gods and turned to the true and living God. We need to make sure that we hold a stance that we truly just worship God. Our world is starting to shift where we're seeing true idol worship, where people are worshiping idols. But for, for many millennia, we have also had gods where we have raised things above God. Work, family, hobbies, all of that is idol worship. And we need to be careful that we don't put anything above the true and living God. Because this is Paul's statement to them. You took God and you put him above everything else and you didn't even hesitate. And you know, we've got to understand how difficult that would be. And even think about if you can remember when you got saved, how hard was it to put God first in your life? And once he's there, it's wonderful, it's a great experience, but putting him there is a challenge because it's like, can I really trust God to be in charge? The one, all of, our, all of our brain cells are saying yes, but our emotions are all screaming, no, I've been in charge for a long time. I don't want somebody else to be, I know I've made a mess out of things, but I don't, I don't know that I can trust this new God to sit on the throne. These guys turn, turned over their life and Paul is saying, good job. Good job. And this is one of the things as I teach and I, and I watch people and I get to see people turn God into his proper place in their life and change their life. And he says, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So he's again talking about Jesus. Jesus, we're waiting for Jesus who was raised from the dead. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is not in the tomb. All right? Every other religion, their leader is laying in a tomb someplace, and for most of them, they make pilgrimages to those tombs to, to honor their dead leader. Now, our leader isn't just a leader. He's the son of God, and he is not in the tomb. <laughs> and this is the beauty of it, and he's going to deliver us and has delivered us. And this is what he says, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And this is kind of an interesting thing. It isn't he will deliver us from the wrath to come. He has delivered us from the wrath to come because he has protected us. He has put us in him. He has clothed us in his righteousness. He has surrounded us. This is the beauty of what we face with God. He is delivering us and protecting us. And wonderful life that we have, and everybody in this room I know is experiencing that and, and seeing it, that God is there protecting us. This is a big change that he's talking about these people. They have moved from following idols to, to not knowing what's right and wrong to following God. And, and he's encouraging them, saying, you know what it's like. I love to see when people fully turn their heart over to God. Not just get saved, but truly get to that place where they say, God, you are the center. I'm reading your word, I'm studying you, you are the center, and their lives are completely changed. And you watch them, and, you, and life comes in. And it's a beautiful thing when this happens. And this is Paul's encouragement to the people. And you know, it says that he started this you know, really hard, is that they had been chased out of Philippi and had comfort here. And in beautiful church. Philippi, he was just there a short time building a church. And this one he gets to and gets to build a church that loves God. Chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance into you that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in 
in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which tries our heart. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been a burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So we're going to look at this. He says, you know. You know how we came to you. And this know that he uses here is a, is a, is a, a word that to know by perception. They saw, they, they understood, they heard. You know how our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. We did not waste our time. And this is something that when Jesus told the disciples to go out two by two and to, to share the, the gospel message to people while he was still alive, and he says, if they don't accept your word, when you leave the city, shake off the dust from your, your foot. It'll be more tolerable for them in the, uh, in the day of judgment than for, uh, for Sodom than it would be for them in the day of judgment. Paul's saying, we came in and it wasn't in vain. We had a wonderful time with you. And this is a great time. And we've all probably been there when we've talked to somebody, we've witnessed, and it seems like it was in vain. Now, we, we can't really say it was in vain because we don't know the future. We don't know what our words will mean to them in the future. But we understand sometimes that people just aren't touched. And Paul is saying it wasn't in vain. He says, you know. And he says, but even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. And so they went to Philippi and they did not have a good time. It was a hard time for them in Philippi. Uh, it was a time when everything was going wrong for them, and they were chased out of town. And I want to just turn real quick to Philippi. Uh, well, it's chapter 16. But they get there, Lydia's converted, there's a damsel that's, uh, who has cast out the demons because she's following after them and saying, these are, the, these are the servants of the Most High. And you know, it sounds like this should have been a good thing. She's praising who they are, but she's doing it because of the demons are coming through at the wrong times. Have you ever been, I don't know if any of you have experienced, but I've had places where the people start talking in the middle of the message. You know, and they're praising God supposedly right in the middle of the Holy Spirit and God talking to them from the front with the pastor, and they start interrupting the pastor. This is what that person was doing. And Paul cast out the demon out of her, and the people arrest him. It's in chapter 16, Acts 16. Um, and so they're arrested because she was bringing money into the pockets of the um, soothsayers, let's say that, the easiest way. And so they have him arrested. He's thrown into prison in Philippi. Um, and if you remember the story, in the middle of the night in the Philippian jail, they have been beat and punished. They're thrown into jail. And what do they find at midnight? They're singing and praising God. And I can't imagine what the other prisoners were thinking. I don't think they were exactly happy that these nuts in the other cell were singing and praising God. <laughs> Number one, they're beat. They're, you know, and there are probably other people in that cell. They're probably saying, shut up and let us sleep and all this. And if you remember, there was an earthquake. And the shackles came off them. And the jailer came in, and he's ready to kill himself because he is sure that his prisoners have all escaped, which means if they've escaped, his life is forfeit. And just before he kills himself, Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Now, I don't know about you, but how big a miracle is this? Because it says the, the shackles came off the prisoners and none of them ran off. Now, I know that if the gates were wide open at the prison where I'm at and there, and there was nobody stopping them, 
It had to be God stopping them because the Philippian jailer is going to get saved. And very quickly thereafter, they leave. So they come in, do some preaching, get rested, and then leave, go to court the next morning, and are told basically leave town. And then they go to the Thessalonica. So this is what happened, and he says, you knew how we were treated in Philippi. They were probably still pretty sore and cut up from their, from their beatings, because remember, scourgings and the, and the lashings were not nice. They were designed to cause maximum pain, and the Jew and the Romans, uh, Roman uh, centurions that did these uh, lashings enjoyed it. And nobody doctored it. There's no, no Paul, uh, saw, uh, Luke, as far as we know at this point. And if it was, huh? Well, he tended their wounds to a degree, but still, you're only a day or two away when they get to Thessalonica. So even if they've been really doctored up, they're still raw. They're still, they're still cut. You know, if you've ever had a cut, you, you know that it scabs over, but it's still, it is still not healed. And this is how they show up in Thessalonica, all beat and praising God. They had started a church, a very small church, you know, the, the Philippian jailer, his family, and Lydia, and a few other people, and they were chased out of town and show up in Thessalonica, and, you know, who knows what they really, you know, who, of course they would have been covered and, and cloaked, so most people didn't know how bad their beatings were, most likely. But uh, they were probably also brutally beat around the face and, and punched during this period of time. You know, and it's kind of amazing that Paul never once, apparently, in, in the Philippian jailer, in Philippia, the Philippia, said that he was a Roman, Roman citizen. It's kind of an interesting thing. He claims that later on, but he doesn't there, for whatever reason. He doesn't say, well, you've been beating me, you're in real big trouble, because I'm a Roman citizen, and... You know, and yet there were times when he took that and said, I need to protect and use my, use my position. And he says, we didn't come to you in vain. You know how we suffered and were shamefully entreated. All right? He says, you know what Philippi was like to us. We were beat. We were chased out of town. You know, we were, we were not, not treated well. And he says, and you know how we were treated, and you still accepted us. Now, we think about this, and it's, it's kind of funny that, you know, people will talk about this when churches are looking for pastors. They put this great big long list of requirements for a pastor. Very rarely is there, is there on their list for, for pastor, been in jail, been chased out of towns, been beat for the gospel's sake. And Paul says, you know, you accepted me even though. Because they could have looked at him and said, well, you're a jailbird. What, what, you know, what, what are you doing in this town? What kind of gospel are you preaching? What kind of good news are you preaching when you were in jail in the, in the previous town? And they could look back at his other, oh, and by the way, you were in jail here and here and here and, and here, and you've been beat, and you've been chased out of town, and now you're in our town. And yet they did not do this. They looked at Paul and listened to the message that he brought. And he says, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And this word contention is not strife. It's more like a legal battle. It's a contention of words. All right? He's not talking about fists, fisticuffs here. He's talking about we argued the case in the, in the courts and in the, in the area. And with the Thessalonians in this case. Yeah, down in the Thessalonica. Because uh, Paul's job was he went in the first Saturday, he went to the Jews. They almost always did not accept him. And then he went out and started talking to the Gentiles. And he would meet them in wherever they met. All right? Because in this day, in the Greek philosophy, you would have a town square where people gathered together to debate. And sometimes there were big areas where they debated. Sometimes they were famous areas like Mars, Mars Hill, where it was one of the more famous ones. And you would go there and you would be able to discuss philosophy because that was what the Jews liked to do. 
uh, not the Jews, the, the Greeks like to do. They love to discuss philosophy. So Paul would go into those courts and he would discuss and debate with their leaders and talk about all of these things and lift up Jesus and give the gospel message to them and try to draw people to the truth. And, and it says, I was bold. He's just come away from being beaten and the first thing he does in the next town is start preaching the gospel again. All right? And, you know, we got to think about this. His back, every time he moves and bends, is probably pulling those, those uh, uh, whip marks open so that he's bleeding. And he's standing there t pleading with the people of the gospel message with boldness. You know, and it always makes me, when I read about Paul's boldness and the other disciples' boldness, it really kind of puts me to shame at how many times I have not spoken with great boldness, how many times I have not, and I'm not even facing being beat. All right? He has just been beat. In the next town, as far as he's concerned, just as likely to be beat, and he's still being bold to preach the gospel, gospel message. You know, and when we look at this, it really just should bring us to a little bit of shame and saying, God, give me more strength. In Acts, where we read, the, the disciples, after Peter and John were thrown into prison, they asked for more boldness to keep contending, even though they were, being, they were being scourged, they were being put into prison. They're going, God, make us bold. Give us this boldness. And that needs to be our prayer. God, make us bold. Huh? Oh, oh, obviously, yes. But the point is, they trusted him. Yeah. And they trusted God to be there. And sometimes we don't really trust God. You know, we say we do. We will tell everybody we do. But you know, unfortunately, and I'm guilty as everybody else, actions speak louder than words. And I know there's times when I have not been bold, even knowing that I was supposed to. And yet, Paul, right here, just days after being beaten, you know, and I can, you know, I've always wondered, in the Philippian jail, after having just been beaten, and they wouldn't have been cleaned up at that point in time, there's rats and fleas and vermin in these, in these prisons, and they are praising God for what they've been through. When God said, in everything give thanks, he really meant in everything give thanks, and he practiced it. And this is the beauty of what we look at. Paul didn't just say these things, he lived them out. And this is what people look at us. Are we living out the power of God? And this is important for us. If God is truly living in us, and he is, if we're saved, he should be coming out of us in power. Now, the only thing holding him back is our free will not allowing him to, to do so. But we need to get more bold. We need to be praying, God, give me boldness. God, give me the unction to move forward and, and witness and live for you. Give me power. Give me strength. Get me out and do these things. And we need to be praying for that because we are so close to the end times. I've been talking to so many other Christians and it's so clear that I don't know how close we are, but we are close. We are seeing, every, we're seeing the calls for one world government. We're, being, we're seeing the calls for one currency. We're seeing the, the calls for all of these things. We're seeing good being called evil and evil being called good. Everything the Bible said was going to happen at the end days. Now, are we completely at the end days? I don't know. We are very close. Could we be a long way still? I don't know. Are we at the days of Noah where everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes? We're pretty close. The church is, the church is putting out salt and light. And yet the, and the church is dwindling in its, in its power because so many churches are selling out the gospel and we're seeing fewer and fewer churches that are taking a stand for God and seeing fewer and fewer Christians taking a stand for God and 
we're seeing very close. And, and the less we stand for God, the more evil uh, runs rampant. And when the church is removed at the rapture, the, the evil is going to really be rampant because there's not going to be anybody telling them that they're wrong. Except their conscience, and they'll sear their conscience. They, they won't have too much problem with their conscience. But right now, the church is holding back evil. And we're not being very successful, but imagine what it would be if we weren't here, telling the world that what you're doing is evil and holding back the floodgates. How close are we? It could be any day that Jesus sounds the trumpet for us to go home. It may be still a century away. I can't see it being that far because of how bad things are getting, but... Yeah? Even in the small cities, things are getting bad. But the big cities are really bad. The, the, the bigger cities are really bad right now, and we're seeing evil. We need to get serious about giving God out to people and testifying, because there may come a time when we're going to find ourselves in prison for being Christians. Oh, they're burning anything. Because the churches, the churches that will lift up God are making them feel bad and making them condemned because we hold up the truth and the light and dark sin does not like light so the church brings light into it and they attack the light they attack the word they're going to attack us and the th funny thing is you know this very thing that we're going through right now with all the virtual church and and logging into these websites, and it's too late for us to change, but all the Christians have identified themselves to the world. So that when it's time to gather up Christians, it will be very easy to wander around, grab up all the Christians that have been listening to Christian churches and, and preaching. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's just we're lining up and they're shutting down churches and churches have put out there. So there's going to be a lot of people who aren't even strong Christians who just wanted to attend their church that are going to end up getting wrapped up in this roundup. And it's kind of an interesting thing. They, we've self-identified. It'll make the days of McCarthy look like a Sunday school picnic. You know, and if you don't know who McCarthy was, he's the one that chased after all the communists in America, and all he had to do is have somebody that knew you, that, that had been under suspect. 40, 50? 50s. It'll make his days look like a Sunday school picnic when they come around and arrest the Christians. So it is quite possible when the rapture happens, nobody will even know that it happened, except for the guards of the prison, who have to explain where all their prisoners went. Uh, it'll be chaos for them. Maybe, maybe they'll go too. Uh, but Paul is saying, we brought this message to you. We did it boldly. We need to get bold because the time is short. The time is going to be turning around on us very soon. Verse 3, it says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. So he says, our exhortation, our encouragement, our words of encouragement. And, you know, you'd think that this would be easy to say, that he wouldn't have to... to to say this, but he goes, it was not of deceit. In other words, we weren't trying to get something from you, which is the way the world does it. I'll say all the nice things you want as long as I get something out of this deal. That was the way the disciples were following Jesus initially. This is the Messiah. We're going to follow him, and he's going to start a kingdom, and, and because we were with him at the beginning, we're going to be the, the dukes and the princes and the and the squires, and we're going to have our territories to, to rule because we were with them. They were doing it for all the wrong reasons initially. And Paul is saying, we didn't do this. We were, not, we were not out to get anything from you. And it wasn't out of uncleanness or moral corruption. All right? And we see this sometimes with many of the cults. There's the moral uncleanness. We're, we're going to do this, and we want you to do all these things because you have to do these things to please God. You have to do these things to be right. So it's not of moral uncleanness, nor in guile. He's not, they're not, 
He says, we're not doing, we didn't come to you with all these good things saying, building you up and exhorting you for any negative purpose. And this is something I've seen people do it in Christianity. They get to know that they're supposed to build up people. They're supposed to love people. And they learn that if you do these things, you get it back in return. And then they start doing it, trying to get the back in return part of it. And that's not why we do this. We don't show people love so that we get love. We don't show them grace so that we get grace. Now, we do get those things many times, but our motivation can't be, well, I'm going to manipulate this person. If I show them enough love, they're going to, they're going to love me back. That can't be what we're doing. And Paul is saying, that is not why we did this. And I have seen it over the years. Somebody, somebody learns a little bit about love. They learn about love, and they learn that if they love people, they should get love in return. And all of a sudden, they're out there loving people with all the wrong reasons. And you know, people very quickly know, do, I, do you really love them? Or are you just trying to manipulate them? Am I showing them grace and forgiveness because I really want to show love, grace and forgiveness? Or am I out there trying to manipulate them to return it back to me? And people know the difference. I was talking with one guy today because we all wear masks anymore and it's really hard to see if somebody's smiling. And we got talking about how some people, you can see the smile in their eyes. And you can't fake that. It has to be real. If you really are at peace and with joy and you're really truly smiling and it'll show up in your eyes, you can't fake it. Sometimes you can fake a smile. You know, usually kind of looks funny too, but... But some people are good about faking smiles. But when it gets to the eyes, it, it's not something you fake. And this is what Paul's saying. Our, exo- our exhortations were not out of deceit. This were but. <laughs> but we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our heart. And he goes, we weren't out there showing you the sun, but we were serving God. We were out there lifting up God. And this is the way we are supposed to be as Christians. We are to work as unto God, not as unto men as I pleasing. Uh, and you know the difference. I've had employees where I know that they were doing, whenever I was there, they were working. When I wasn't there, they slacked off. How do I know? Because I'd come around the corner and I'd catch them just seeing me and all of a sudden they'd get busy. And then there were people who truly worked us unto God, and they were working all the time, whether I was there, whether I wasn't there, whether anybody was watching them, because they knew that the one that they were serving was watching them. And this is what Paul's saying. We worked as unto God. We were allowed, and I love this, allowed, permitted by God to give the gospel. And this is the beauty. God allows us to serve him. You know, and you got to think about this. You know, God could just say, well, you got saved, I'm taking you to heaven. Might be better if that happened, but <laughs> he allows us to give the gospel. He allows us to serve him. And his expectation is that we will be good servants. Now, many are not good <laughs> servants, but God allows us to step forward to be a, and he puts trust in us. And it says, and he says, we are not men pleasers, but God, which tries our heart. And this word for try is the word dokios, which is the idea of trying something to see how pure it is. A dokios was one who checked the purity of the gold uh, and made sure that the coins hadn't been shaved. Uh, back, in the, back in the Roman and Greek days, people took the gold coins and then they would take a knife and they would shave away the edges of the of the coin and then take that gold and melt it down and make it into you know, make it into bars and and try to pass off the original coin as a true and legitimate coin even though it had been shaved the dokimos would take those coins weigh them make sure that somebody hadn't put wax on them or lead in them they they were the ones that checked it and this is what god said they're saying here god tried our hearts. How many times has God tried your heart and your life to see if it's true? 
every day, every other day at the very least, you know, at least once a week. <laughs> you know, might give us a short re respite after we've gone through something really hard, and then he puts us through another trial. Are you totally pure? Are you having the right attitude? Are you having the right reasons? And Paul said, we came before you with the right reasons. We weren't trying to trick you. We weren't trying to deceive you. In Paul's day, just as there are today, they're charlatans. There are evangelists that go around in our day and in Paul's day that would go around, preach, take up offerings, take a bunch of money, and get out of town as quick as, quick as possible. And Paul's saying, that's not us. We're not here to take. We're not here to cheat you. We're here to make you know God. That needs to be our, our goal. You know, when we talk about this, you know, part of our goal is to make sure that nobody goes to hell. But if that's our only motivation for witnessing, it's not good enough. We need to love people enough to care about their destiny. And you know, we can't just scare everybody out of hell. Now that works to a degree, but they need to see a real relationship with God. A real relationship, not may involve scaring the hell out of them. <laughs> but that can't be our only motivation. We need to lift up God and lift up God to them so that they can have God in them. Because I've seen many people who say they're a Christian. But God does not have any part of their heart. Am I saying they're not a Christian? No, that's between them and God. Because then we go to James and it says, you know, show me your works, you know, show me your, that you're saved by your works and without your works, and I'll show you that I am saved by my works. All right? They might be saved. They might have meant what they said. But it's really hard to prove it without living it. And this is what Paul is saying. We lived it so that they can live it. And God gets into us and he tries us and he's going to all of his children he will try and say do you truly believe and this is the point that we come down to god i read your word i really believe it and god will say we'll just see if you do and he puts us in a chest to say whatever it is that we believed and learned he'll say do you believe it are you trusting in me are you, have you learned grace? Have you learned forgiveness? Have you learned love? Have you learned perseverance? Have you learned patience? All the things that we can learn and God's going to put us through the, through the, grinding, the grinding test and saying, do you really truly believe? And the hard thing about it is during the test, he kind of steps back and says, all right, I'm still here. I'm your strength, but we're going to see, do you believe? Because a test the teacher does not give the answers. And God will stand back during the test and say, have you really learned? Do you truly believe? And that is the whole purpose of the test. Not for God to learn do we really believe. He already knows whether we believe or not. But for us. Because we have this really bad habit as human beings to lie to ourselves. God, I am really a forgiving person. I can forgive anybody. Because you've taught me to forgive. And God will say, okay, this person is really going to do something terrible to you. And they're going to do it on purpose. And they're going to gloat about what they did to you. Are you going to forgive them? Uh, God, that's a hard test. He says, well, you said you believed in forgiveness. Yeah. Put somebody in our path. You know, God, I really know how to love people now. Oh, man, what can happen? People talk about not pray, praying for patience, but you know, you don't have to pay for patience for God to try your patience. Because he says, I'm teaching you patience now. Let's see if you're there. Let's see if you're there yet. And this is what Paul is saying. God has tried his heart. Paul was a special man. When you look at what Paul went through and, and stayed faithful and continued to stay faithful with God, it's an amazing thing to look at his life and the other disciples who stayed faithful. And my prayer is, God, help me stay faithful. I want to end well with God. I have seen too many people that when they get older do not end well with God. And I want to stay strong with God, be, be following him just as strong or more strongly when I'm older 
and ready to go into the grave at my old age, whatever that age is, and be faithful and strong. And that's good. And it needs to be that way. Verse, <laughs> Verse 5. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. So again, he's, he's reiterating to these people because what was happening in each of these places that Paul would leave in would come the Judaizers saying, well, Paul didn't tell you the whole story. You need more, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to, you need to be circumcised, you need to go and offer sacrifices, you need to become a Jew, in other words. And Paul didn't give you the whole story. And this is what he's saying, we did not use flattering words. We didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. Too many people tell people what they want to hear. Tickle their ears. And this is coming true of a lot of churches out there in today's world that do not preach the gospel message. There are many churches in America where you will never hear the word sin. And if you do, it'll be a very generic, you know, very generic small thing. It's not, not a big deal. You will never hear that God will judge sin by sending people to hell. Oh, those are terrible things. You, people don't want to hear those kind of words. Well, you know what? It really doesn't matter what people want to hear or not want to hear. God's truth is God's truth. And if we're tickling ears, we're helping them head straight to hell. And we don't want to do that as Christians. I don't want to do it as a pastor. I want to tell God's truth to people. And he says, nor did we use a cloak of covetousness. He wasn't out to get something. Again, he's making these evangelists, these people that come along after him that are trying to tickle ears. Let me say what you want to hear. An evangelist coming in and holding a healing service where God is not exalted, the evangelist is exalted, and they get all kinds of money and run out of town. This is the type of person Paul is talking about. He goes, this was not us, and you know it wasn't us. This is Paul's heartbeat as a pastor. We have not lied to you. We have not deceived you. Matter of fact, we were there long enough to watch you grow. And this is the beauty. This is where a pastor comes in. Evangelists have their place. They come into town. They hit town hard. They stay a week, a couple days, years, depending on their ministry, and then they're on their, on their way. They start a church. They get a start church active, and then they move on. The pastor's job is to come along and change the diapers and, and clean the skin knees and encourage people to move forward and, and help them grow. And that takes time. It takes effort. And this is what Paul's saying. We came, and we came for all the right reasons. We were there to see you grow. We didn't come in telling you what you wanted to hear. We didn't come in encouraging you for all the wrong reasons. We came in to watch you grow. And this is the beauty of what he is saying as he goes in. Verse 6 continues, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been a burden, burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So he says, we weren't looking for your glory. Not you, not of others. And he says, and by the way, we were apostles. We could have, we could have demanded gifts. We could, have, we could have demanded people to put us up, at least in the Christian, Christian realm. But he all over the place, Paul told the people, I didn't take anything from you. Paul worked and gave to these churches. And he supported them. And he's going, I, as an apostle, deserved it. He could have gone on even further and say, I, as a pastor of your church, deserved it. Or as the evangelist deserved it. Each of these positions deserve getting paid for. But Paul's saying, I didn't, we didn't come to be a burden to you. He's, other churches were paying for him. He, he, would, he would do some work on the side. He'd make tents. He was a very busy bivocational pastor working on the side, probably getting gifts. I'm not saying he never got a gift from any of these churches, but he's going, I wasn't coming and asking for anything from you. Whatever you gave us, you gave us of your free will. 
And he's never saying it's wrong. He, he would, and you notice, nothing in what he said is that it's wrong for him to have been able to ask. He says we weren't going to be the burden as we could have been. We were apostles. We could have asked you to be paying for us while we were there. But he says we didn't. And this is important. Again, he's not saying it was wrong for him to be paid. He's just saying, in your circumstance, we did not. And this is important as we looked at it. And then in verse 20 says, but, another one of these buts, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherishes her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls because you were dear to us. Gentle, you know, mild. The word actually is affable. Somebody you enjoy being around. Okay? He says we were gentle. We were somebody you wanted to be around even as a nurse cherishes her children. And this is talking about the nurse that takes care of the children in a nursery. Not an RN or a LPN. This is the, the babysitting nurse, you know, the, uh, that took care of the kids, fed them, clothed them, entertained them usually draws very close to the kids. Uh, these nurses would spend more time with the kids than the parents did in most cases. And he's saying, this was our attitude toward you. We loved you as that nurse loves her children. And it's kind of interesting, when I looked up the word, uh, the, the Greek word for cherishes, it says it's really undefinable in English. It, it has tender care, it has great mercy, but it really does get down to that special care that a person develops when they take care of an infant and a child. All right? Mothers have that kind of love. In this case, nurses did, because in their day and age, pretty much you handed the baby over to a nurse, and the nurse took care of the baby for the first three and four years, and then handed them over to a tutor who took care of the kids for another, another six or seven years. Um, so it says he's going to the strongest relationship that he can come up with in his day and age. He goes, we loved you so much. It was like the nurse who takes care of the children. That's a great tenderness. And that's what Paul was saying. Our love towards you was great. So great that we, did not want, we don't want to see you hurt. We don't want to see you suffer. We want to see you fed, clothed, bathed, all the stuff that the nurses do for their kids that they're, they're caring for. And this is the tender heart of Paul as a pastor of this church. I want, we loved you so much, we can't even explain how deep that love was. And then he says, and so affectionately desiring you, so he's continuing in this, in this pattern, we were willing to impart unto you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. Good leaders in church pour out their lives to their people and encourage them and, and, and love them and lift them up and care about them no matter what they're going through. And this is where we really get to see the difference between a shepherd of the flock and a charlatan. A charlatan is paid to be there, may not even be a good teacher, but doesn't care about their people, doesn't care when things go wrong, doesn't care when things are, when they're having a hard time, isn't lifting them up. And Paul is saying, we cared deeply for you. Everything about what we did was for you. And this means Paul was visiting them when they were sick and, and if they were hurting, he was there. He was preaching loving messages to build them up. Sometimes those loving messages can be hard, I've had many of those where I preach a hard message, but it is still in love. But encouragement, building up, watching people grow. And the greatest thing for any pastor is to watch their people grow and see them grow in Christ. People ask all the time, well, how's your church doing? And I go, I've got so many people growing, it's just great to watch them grow. You know, and that is the wonderful thing, because this church has so many growing people that are getting closer and closer to God with each passing day and lives being changed and touched and growing. And that is the greatest thing, and I take pleasure in it, not because it's me, but because of what God is doing 
And I get the pleasure of just teaching, praying, loving, encouraging, and watching. Watching what God does. And this is what Paul is saying. We love you so much that we are doing all of this for you. Verse 9. For we remember, brethren, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, and our laboring day and night, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are the witness, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believed. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. One of the things you notice in this, and at least I noticed, Paul likes triples. Over and over again, he matches things up in triples. And we've talked about this. When something's doubled up, it's being emphasized. When it's tripled up, it's really being emphasized. And Paul uses a lot of triples in here. Not exactly the same word, but the same general meaning behind them. It says, remember, brethren, our labor and our travail. And, and for laboring day and night, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach the gospel to you. And these are strong words. Labor and travail. Labor, intense, usually with trouble and toil. He says, and our travail, hard and difficult labor and hardship. Uh, travail is oftentimes used of pregnancy. When the woman gets ready to deliver, she will be in labor and travail. All right? And hard, painful. And he's saying, we work for you with, with hard and painful times. And sometimes, as much as we are called to teach, as much as we are called to be pastors, there are times when it is hard. When we watch people do exactly what they're not supposed to do, and we've been teaching about it, and it breaks your heart, and you want to just wrap them by the neck and strangle them, but you're still trying to love them back into, into, into their position, and all you want to do is strangle them. I mean, why are you doing this? And you realize also that you've done the same thing. You know, it's... it's it, you know, but you're looking at people and going, oh, you're, it's so heartbreaking because you want to see them be successful. And this is what Paul's saying. It's hard. It was very difficult. And we labored day and night for you, talking to you because we would not be chargeable. And this is kind of an interesting word. He says, we're not going to have you be able to say, we didn't do our job. Uh, that any of you that we preach the gospel of God. And this idea of being chargeable. I, I heard a sermon many, many years ago where they talked about people standing at the white throne judgment, looking out over the, over the church and saying, you never told me about God. You never told me this was coming. Paul is basically saying, there's nobody out there that I have, you know, at least in Philippi, <laughs> that I'm chargeable for. I have, told, I have told everybody I've come across the gospel message. I have told all my friends, all my relatives about the gospel message. Nobody's going to be able to stand and charge me with not doing the gospel. I unfortunately can't say that. I know for a fact that I can't say it because usually an hour or two after I get done with somebody, I'm going, I should have said this. I should have done this. I should have, and it's too late. I'm pretty slow. Paul obviously wasn't that slow. <laughs> Maybe he was looking better than I was. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but he says, we're not chargeable before you. He goes, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved amongst you. What a statement of his testimony. We were just. We were unblameable. We did not try to cheat anybody. We did not take advantage of anybody. We lived righteously in front of people. Oh, that that would be our testimony that we would have that testimony before people. God, they could look. Daniel had such a testimony. He had his political enemies watching him to find a crime against him, and they couldn't find one. Now, 
They, they were not sloppy. They were not inept. They, are poli they were politicians just like our days. That they'll find, if you had something wrong, they're going to find it. Daniel lived a life that had no chargeable crime against him. Paul is saying, basically, I'm living a life that nobody can charge anything against me. Oh, that God would give us that kind of a life. That we speak to people about God and, and we work hard and, we, and, we, and we're honest and, we're, and, and all of that. And that they can look at our life and say, that's a Christian. That's what a Christian's supposed to be like. They're not a hypocrite. They're not, they're not cheating us. They're not trying to get something from us. They are the real McCoy. And you know, most of us have had times when that's our, the case. And hopefully we live close enough that people will say, well, you, you know, they may not be perfect, but you know that what they believe is real. They're not playing games. They're not, they're not a fake. And in verse 11, as you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his, his children. We exhorted, again, comforted, persuaded, encouraged, and then comforted, made them feel good, and charge. Now, this is the harder word, but it actually means to implore. And this is begging somebody to do what's right. Why? Because we care. So we implore them to do what is right. We might do this with our children at times. Would you just not do what you're getting ready to do? It's going to be nothing but bad for you. you know, and so I like the word implore better here than, than charge because he's, he says we're begging you. We begged you to do what was right. We, we implored you to do what was right. And then why? Verse 12 says, That you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Oh, that we will live so that we could glorify God. That we can lift him up and people will see him in us. This is the whole purpose that we are left on earth after we become saved, so that we can lift up Jesus. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So even when we're doing things right, it's not that we get lifted up, it's that Jesus gets lifted up in us, shining out of us and drawing men to him. And this is what Paul's saying. We lived a blameless life, not us, you know, he's not trying to say that, look at me, look how special I am. He's saying, I lifted up Jesus. And Jesus now is seen amongst you and draws all people. I don't want people to be drawn to my goodness. I don't want them to be drawn to, to goodness, period. I want them to be drawn to Jesus. Because goodness will give them a false sense of hope. They are not going to heaven for goodness. They're not going to heaven because of how good they can be. They're going to heaven because of who Jesus is. And Paul is saying, we lifted up Jesus. He's going about it in quite a ways, you know, he's, and he's saying, you looked at us, but we're lifting up Jesus. And this is our job, lift him up daily. Let him be the one that people see. And and hopefully he shines so brightly that even when we mess up, they don't see us. And you know what? That can happen. There have been people who said, you know, that person, that person was just so good. And going, okay, yeah, generally they're good. I'm sure God, God is, I'm sure God, Jesus, you saw Jesus and not, not all the bad things that I've done. And that's what Paul is coming to. We lifted up Jesus and you followed Jesus. And he's telling this to the whole church. This church had grown. This church had been growing for God and lifting up God. And that is for us. And I hope our church gets known for just that. Holding up the light of Jesus. Not necessarily. That doesn't mean everybody's going to like us. Because when we hold up the light, that hurts the people's eyes and they've been in darkness. If you've ever walked into a super bright light, you know, sometimes when I'm driving down the streets and they're so dark and somebody does, you know, comes around a corner and doesn't turn their high beams down, and all of a sudden, you can't see a thing, and you're glad you get to go straight, <laughs> you know, and, and that nobody's in front of you at the moment, hopefully. Uh, that's what the light of God does to the world. It, it brings that huge light into their, into their soul and convicts them and blinds them momentarily to all the things that they think are going to get them someplace. 
because the light shows them how dirty they are. And we've talked about this. God does that even to us. As we, whenever we think we're getting someplace with him, as far as getting our heart put together, he turns the light bulb up just a little bit higher. And saying, well, no, you still have a few things in that dirty heart. Then we clean that up, and he turns the light bulb up just a little higher. And we go, God, would you quit turning the light bulb up? I'd like to, be, I'd like to stay calm for a moment. He goes, no, nope, I want you to keep growing, keep maturing. God's goal for us is that we mature for our entire lifetime, drawing closer and closer and closer to him. We will never get there, but he keeps saying, come closer, come closer, come closer. And the closer we get, the more ungodliness he'll take out of us, and the better things will be in the long run, and the more we see him and the more we become like him. We will never be like him, but we can get more and more like him so that the world kind of thinks that we are. <laughs> but from deep down, we know because our comparison isn't against the world, it is against him. And this is the point we always have to remember. No matter where we are, in comparison to Christ, we're nothing. Even if, even if somehow I manage to be the best person that's ever lived in the entire world, I'm still nothing compared to Christ. And he has to always be our comparison marker. Because if we compare ourselves to others, we'll get self-righteous and prideful. But if we compare ourselves to, to Jesus, we'll go, i got an awfully long ways to go. I'm not there yet. God, help me to keep loving these people. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to be bold. Give us that prayer to be bold. Give us the prayer to keep you at the center of our life and, and move forward. And we just thank you for who you are and for your love for us and, and help us to stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.